0: We're looking at the fourth letter that Jesus has John, the disciple John. He he wrote the book of Revelation. This is the fourth letter out of seven churches that Jesus wants to address. And this one is to the church in Thyatira. As a matter of fact, I Googled it just to make sure I was pronouncing it right. You know, so Thyatira, I was putting an extra R in there all week. So Thyatira was one of the smallest cities in the Asia Minor province. However, they received the longest letter from Jesus. I don't know if that was something to be proud of, but we will look at this. It's not something to be proud of. They were looked at as the corrupt church or an apostate church, meaning apostasy is someone who once believed the truths of God's word, and now they reject them. This is the direction that the church in Thyatira was heading down. The Apostle Paul had a protege, a young man named Timothy. Timothy did some pastoring in Ephesus. Here is what Paul wrote to Timothy about this very thing. Now, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last days, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. This is Paul's warning to Timothy. This is our warning from the Word of God that in the last days, this is what will happen personally I believe this kind of stuff has been happening all throughout the church's history but think about there's this this end times period that we'll look at later on in this series called the tribulation That's seven years think about how bad it's going to get leading up to that and then while we're in that they will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons, there will be pastors, there will be churches that will be teaching things, doctrines that come from demons, and we need to be aware of this. This is why we're doing this, this, uh, this series, so we are aware of this stuff. This is a book of hope. This is something that we need to be aware of. This is something that we can learn, and and, and when we're in discussions with our friends, we can say, hey, listen, I don't have all your answers, but my church is doing a series on this, and then you just direct them to the sermon series. You don't even have to explain things. Just direct them to the sermons. So here's the deal. Thyatira was located 40 miles south of Pergamon. Pergamon, we looked at that church last week, and Thyatira was, so, so I found this map. So here we are, we started with Ephesus, then we went up to Smyrna, then Pergamos, and so we were up on the coastal towns, and now we're coming back down, Thyatira, so we're, we're more inland, so this is, the, this is the, the, the way we're traveling, these are churches that, that the Apostle Paul set up and established during the book of Acts, and you actually, Thyatira is mentioned in chapter 16, I believe, in the book of Acts, where, where Paul and, and Luke and, and, and the disciples were were preaching and sharing the good news and they met this lady named Lydia and she um, was a merchant in uh, expensive purple clothing I believe and she was from Thyatira and she became, became involved in the church and I also believe she became involved in the church in Philippi where we get the book of Philippians so she was a, a, a major uh, uh, influence in the church for the kingdom at this time So. So, Thyatira was a, was a blue collar city, a working man's town, and it was a small town. But there were many um, uh, uh, trade guilds, uh, what do they call them? Uh, uh, trade guilds of the city, which we would call unions. It's like, it was like, a, like a, a Pittsburgh, it was a union town. Is that right, Mark? Right. <laughs> All right, so, but, but, the, but three of the main things that they made there, that they, that they produced there, were fabrics. Um, dyes for fabrics and uh, pottery so that's the three things that were coming out of Thyatira so so let's go to uh, Revelation chapter 2 and we'll start in verse 18 and let's just look at the beginning of this letter so this is Jesus here he goes he says this write this letter to the angel of the church in Thyatira now that's the pastor so write this letter to the pastor of this church this is the message from the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. Now remember, in Revelation chapter 1, there was this very uh, uh, a detailed description of what Jesus looks like that side of heaven, and this is a part of it. He, he, he uses a part of his characteristics, a part of his description to address that church, and there's a specific reason for it. Now, fun little fact, this is the only time in the book of Revelation that the title son of God is used to refer to Jesus. I don't know if that means anything or not, but it was just something I stumbled across. So also the main god that they worshiped in this city was a was a sun god. So some people say well he used the son of God to kind of combat the sun god. I don't think so. I think Jesus is a little bit bigger than, than to use, you know, wordplay like that, but but the main God that they worshipped was a sun god in this city. So Jesus says, listen, his description, the eyes of fire, all right, here's the reason why he uses this, this description of him. Because it represents judgment from the one who sees everything. Jesus sees everything. There is nothing that he does not miss out on. And we should not be fearful of this. right? If, if, if you are doing... If you are living your life as the best as you can, according to God's word. When I say the best as you can, that means we're going to mess up. That means we're not perfect. That means we're doing our best. And when we do mess up, we come back to Jesus. We talk to him about it. We give it to him. We give our addictions, our frustrations, our struggles, our hurts to him, and he takes care of it. The moment we start to hide things from him is the moment that we will start spiraling out of control spiritually. So these eyes of fire are not things to be afraid of. Remember, he holds the pastors in his right hand and he walks among the churches as he does these inspections, okay? And in Hebrews chapter four tells us, listen, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes and he is the one to whom we are all accountable to. Jesus. And this is a good accountability as followers of Jesus. Unless you've got things going on in your life that you don't want anybody to know about, then I would suggest get, get that taken care of. Now, the feet like polished bronze represent stability and strength and purity. This is Jesus. And this image should stand as a reminder to us that, that even though the world may be spinning out of control, Jesus has everything under control. It's in control. It's in His hand. He's holding everything together. Even though our lives, our personal lives, may be spiraling out of control because of decisions we've made or things that that we we don't have any control over, we have a Savior who can bring stability in our lives that we can rely on. He represents stability and strength and there's nothing that we can hide from him. That's the image that we have of him right now. And then, not only this, but the book of Revelation is a fulfillment of prophecy, especially Old Testament prophecy. And the Old Testament prophet Daniel had the very same vision of Jesus in Daniel chapter 10. Look at this. I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face... face flashed like lightning, and his eyes flamed like torches. There it is. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze, and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. This is a description of Jesus that that the prophet Daniel saw in a vision that coincides with the description of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1 that also matches the description of Jesus in the Gospels when he took uh, Peter, James, and John up on a mountain and it's called the Transfiguration where he, 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 he transfigured into all of his glory and they saw something like this in him. that He looked like this. And then Moses and Elijah appear and it's an incredible story. So, so these things all uh, line up and they match up and they fulfill each other and they back each other up. Now, what did the church in Thyatira have going for them? Because remember, Jesus always addresses, when he, when, he, when he wants to address us, when there's something that needs correction, he will talk about the good things first because he's a loving father. He's a loving savior. He wants us to know how much he cares about us. Even when there's correction that needs to be made, it will be done in a loving manner. So here's what he says. I know all the things you do, I have seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. That's a nice, right? Like, hey, I'm feeling pretty good about my church. I'm the pastor. This letter's being written to me. I'm like, yeah, well, thank you, Jesus. I know everything you're doing. You're doing it well. And you're getting better at it as you go along. Your love for the community, your faith in me, your service, your patient endurance, your your patient with the people around you, your patient with sharing the word, your patient with kingdom-minded stuff, and you endure through things. You push through. You know, some of these other churches we looked at, they had sound biblical doctrine that they clung to, that Jesus said, this is what you cling to. I look at this as like, this is a working man's town, right? So maybe, this is just me, maybe they don't have the most soundest of biblical doctrine, Right? But they've got all these things going for them. They love their community, their faith in Jesus, their service, their patience, their endurance. Jesus says you've got all these things going for you and you're getting better at it. I love that about you. Unfortunately, that's not the rest of the letter. So let's just keep reading here. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person and I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. Yikes. <laughs> it's a pretty serious accusations there, I believe. Judgment that's coming to this church. So, here's the deal. This church had a major issue with tolerance they were turning a blind eye, the leaders of the church were turning a blind eye to idolatry and immorality that was taking place within the congregation. And it sounds like the pastor and probably the leaders of the church were allowing a certain lady to lead people astray with wicked practices, much like the church we looked at last week in Pergamum. Sexual immorality, idolatry, worshipping of other gods. You are permitting that woman, you are permitting, you're allowing this to take place. That Jezebel who calls herself a prophet to lead my servants astray. So Jesus is saying, I'm sure they know who he's talking about. There's a lady in your church who has a Jezebel spirit who is leading people astray. And you're allowing this to happen. So if you've been in church leadership, or if you've been in church for a long time, or if you've done any kind of spiritual warfare kind of classes or things of that nature, you've probably heard of a Jezebel spirit. Jezebel spirit has been around since the days of King Ahab. So, King Ahab was an Israelite king, and he married a pagan lady by the name of Jezebel. Now, if you remember last week, a Moabite king by the name of Balak who wanted to bring a curse. They were enemies. Moabites were, the, the Moabites were enemies of the Israelites. He, wanted, he hired this guy named Balaam to curse the Israelites. And Balaam has this encounter with God. And he says, hey, you know what? I'm, I can't do this. And so he tells Balak, he says, listen, here's what, here's what you do. Here's what will be their downfall. Entice them with the pagan culture. And then all that idolatry and the worshiping of other gods and their spiritual practice, the Israelites will take part in. That's going to be their downfall. And it was. Well, King Ahab married a pagan lady, Jezebel, and she introduced him to the worship of Baal and some other pagan gods. Remember we looked at Baal last week? Baal was, in my mind, one of the most wickedest of evil demons out there that people worshipped at that time. And believe it or not, people still worship him at this time. They probably use a different name for him. He's a wicked, wicked, wicked God. Lowercase g. Now, this lady in the church. So also, uh, King Ahab, if you would like some some really good riveting reading of this stuff, uh, you can go to 1 Kings chapters 16 through 21 and you'll read the story of King Ahab and Jezebel it's actually really good stuff and if you like you know kind of like those battles and some drama it's got everything you need it's a, it'd make a great movie just read it this week first Kings chapter 16 through 21 in that story it says that King Ahab did more evil than all the kings before him he's a bad bad king and Jezebel played a major role in this so now we have this lady in the church With a Jezebel spirit who claims to be a prophet who is leading people astray, Jesus says, my servants, she's leading them astray with false doctrines, idol worship, and sexual immorality. And you, pastor, are permitting this. You are allowing this to happen. Now, it's possible that this lady was also a leader in the church. We're not really sure. Or the fact that she claimed to be a prophet was a big factor in how she was able to gain the attention of so many people in the church. So she, she obviously had some people's attention, and maybe she was a small group leader, maybe she was a volunteer staff, you know, we, we don't know, but she was an influence in the church. But even so, Jesus gave her plenty of time to repent, all right? Now, again, a Jezebel spirit is nothing new but it is a very deceptive spirit and often difficult to recognize because of the many characteristics it will take on when it manifests itself through people. They say all the right things, they do all the right things, and my personal experience is that oftentimes they are, I I refer to it as over-the-top humble, they want you to know how humble they are and how helpful they will be, and and all of this stuff, and, and really, it's it's pride. I call it a false sense of pride that creeps in. And oftentimes, they'll they'll get people's ears. They once they get into a position of leadership or something, they may they may get people's ears, and then they begin to talk about the leaders of the church, maybe the pastors, and they may talk about things that maybe the pastors don't know, or maybe I have some insider, you know, I let me tell you what I heard about in this meeting." And they do it from an area of concern. And people are like, oh, maybe I should listen to this person. And here's the thing. When they get exposed for who they are, it is often too late for those who have fallen victim to what they are saying. And a Jezebel spirit has enough influence and potential to destroy relationships in a church, small groups in a church, an entire church because that is the work of the enemy, right? Division, destruction, confusion. And here's the deal, as with the original Jezebel, the root issue is control. It's all about having control. And once they begin to lose control, that's when things go, really go off the tracks. So what was happening in Thyatira is the church was doing a good job with all the things they were setting out to do. They were probably had some street ministry going on. They were, they were, they were sharing their faith at work with, all, you know, everywhere. They were loving people. They, they, were, they were doing a good job. Jesus says this. But at the same time, a Jezebel spirit had infiltrated the church and they were allowing the immoral, unholy activity of some of the church members to take place without holding them accountable. Now here's the thing. When a church is clicking, when things are going well, when the church is growing, when there's events happening, when you've got lots of leaders and things are going well and everybody's in sync. It's really hard to say to somebody, you recognize that's doing something they shouldn't be doing to hold them accountable because all these good things are going. I don't want to disrupt what's happening. It's difficult. But we have to call out sinful behavior when it is taking place. This is what the leaders of the church were not doing. And listen, Jesus said, I gave her time to repent. There's a fine line between between, uh, uh, slicing, uh, slicing people down really fast and giving them time to repent. That's called grace. That's mercy. When, when you, as a leader, when there are things happening and you address it, you really want there to be, to, for it to be received well. And oftentimes it's not. But you want to have a plan in place too. Hey, listen, let's get you back on track. Let's get you back to where we once were so we can do this without all this other stuff going on. And it's, it's tricky, church. It's hard to discern this stuff. Because oftentimes when this stuff happens, it's always the people that are doing the best work in the church. And so that's what was happening. And, and here, here's the deal. Listen, James chapter 4. It is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. It's hard. Now, in context with James chapter 4 right here, prior to this verse, he's talking about doing the will of God. And when you know that God wants you to do something and you don't do it, it's sin not to do that. And so, so I'm not a big person that likes to take a verse out of context and use it for something. But you could use this in both ways. Right? Like, listen, if you know you're, you shouldn't be doing something and you continue to do it, like, well, yeah. It's bad behavior. And if as a leader in the church you know that things are happening and you're not addressing them, well guess what? That's sinful. You are also held accountable. So if the church leaders are not addressing immoral activity within the church, then they are also held accountable. And I think they're held accountable to a higher standard because it's the role as a shepherd that is held accountable more to... Listen, I'm the one that has to look at Jesus face-to-face and answer to how I shepherd this congregation, right? I am the one that's accountable for that, and you better believe I I take that role as serious as anything else. As serious as I take my role as being a good husband. Because we need to be good husbands. (laughs) But listen, church. That's what's happening in this church here. There must be accountability. And as followers of Jesus, especially leaders in the church, there are biblical standards that we have to adhere to. We don't just get to go through life however we want to, especially if we're influencing people for the gospel. We should never compromise truth for tolerance. We must hold each other accountable when needed. And listen, again, that's a fine line because if I, um, if I, I'll just use a name, you know, if if Joe over here, Jim over here is is doing something that I see on social media and we don't really have a relationship, but I come up to him on Sunday morning and say, hey bud, you better knock that off. You think he's going to respond well to me? We don't even have a relationship. He's not asking for my help. He's not asking for my input. So what I'm going to do is just just pray for him. And let's say he goes to uh, the men's group or amen, or a small group, then I'm going to go to that small group leader and say, hey, you know what, let's just kind of keep our eye on, on Jim, because you know I just kind of noticed this and that. And it stays between us, me and the leader. And we will pray for that person. And then we will, we will hope that the Holy Spirit intervenes. And maybe in a small group setting, he'll say, hey guys, listen, I need some help. And boom, that's it. What was now done in the dark is now brought into the light, and it has no more life to live. Amen. And listen, Proverbs 27: 17, "As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend." This is why we want to get people connected here. This is what the men's life uh, breakfast is all about. This is what the women's breakfast in May is all about. Getting people connected here to church so that this kind of stuff can happen. We can hold each other accountable. And I know, listen, it's not always easy but it can be done in a loving manner and received with a good response. Listen what Proverbs 27, verse 9 says. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. When done in love, when we hold each other accountable in love, it is received. It should be received well. Now, Jesus gave the lady who brought this stuff into the church plenty of time to repent if if i'm thinking of how the holy spirit was working he was probably shouting at the pastors and the pastors are turning a blind eye to it because everything is going well the leaders of the church have done they're not doing anything about it and so jesus has had enough and now judgment is coming. That, that's what this is all about. And remember, these letters represent churches to this very day and also uh, situations that people find themselves in. So this, this, this wasn't just for back then. This, is, this transcends time. And in verse 23, Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person, and I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. And because of the history and the wickedness of a Jezebel spirit, the original Jezebel, and the damage it, it can do to believers, I believe is why Jesus is not going lightly on His judgment. I mean, I mean, seriously, Jesus, you 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 said—see, this even makes me nervous. You said, "I will strike her children dead." I don't know, man. Raises my eyebrows. But there is always opportunity to correct things we have fallen victim to. There's a, there's a main sentence in there that we should all kind of latch on to if we're like, whoa, maybe I am, whoa. Verse 22, unless they repent and turn away from their evil deeds. Do, do you know, in the story with King Ahab and Jezebel, in the very end, uh, the prophet Elijah is involved in this, and at the very end, King Ahab turned his face toward God, and God said, I'm not going to strike him, but I will strike his children. And, King, and, and Jezebel, she died this horrific death, but in the very end, King Ahab said, whoa, God, I, I messed up. We, as long as we come back to Jesus... It's never too late. So, as for those in the church, and here's the other thing, who did not get caught up in this wickedness. In verse 25, it's not, I don't think it's on the screen, but it says, Jesus will ask nothing more of them except to hold tightly of what they have until he returns. You guys are doing, you're, you're, you know, you know—you just you keep doing the stuff. All right, Stay strong, keep the faith, and keep doing what you're doing. I'm not going to put anything more or anything less on you. Doing good. Hang in there. And then, let's read the the rest of this here. Verse 26 through 29. Okay. To all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end. To them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. We'll get to that in a minute here. When when it talks to the judgment of God, about the judgment in the Old Testament, he really likes smashing clay pots. They will have the same authority I received from my Father, and I will also give them the morning star. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Now, listen, this... Uh, rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots this is the fulfillment of the prophetic writings in Psalm 2 listen to this there are some psalms that are prophetic especially Psalm 22 which is prophetic of Jesus on the cross but listen to this in Psalm 2 the king proclaims the Lord's decree now this is the king is God speaking to Jesus the father speaking to his son And this is Jesus. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Only ask and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the whole earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. So what does that mean? Well, this, number one, is a promise to all of those who are victorious and obey Jesus to the very end. In the New King James, it will say, to he who overcomes. You overcome all of this wickedness around you, false doctrines, things that you shouldn't get caught up in. This promise is for you. In other words, those who stay the course and stay true to Jesus in all things. Here's what it means. We will share in the same authority as Jesus' royalty. That's what that means. We become heirs to his kingdom rulership with him. He gives us the same authority that the Father gave him. And again, I'm not entirely too sure what all that means, the smashing of clay pots and stuff. But here's what I do know. I'm a firm believer in this. What we do here on this earth determines what we will do in heaven, determines what we will do in eternity. There's there's some some teachings that Jesus did. One of them was the, the, the the parable of the talents where he gave one guy five bags of silver, one guy two, and one guy one. And the guy with five bags came back and he doubled them, he multiplied them. The guy with two came back and multiplied them. The guy with one did nothing with it. He was afraid, so he buried it and hid it so nothing would happen to it. Jesus says to the other two, well done, good and faithful servants, come on into my kingdom. To the one he said, away with you, you wicked and lazy servant. I gave you something, you did nothing with it. What we do here on earth with the things that God gives us determines, I believe, what we will do in heaven. I don't know exactly how that looks, but I believe that's true. Now, Daniel chapter 7 said the same thing. Look at this. But in the end, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom and they will rule forever and ever. What Jesus is saying here to the church in Thyatira is a fulfillment of the prophecies that Daniel spoke about. Now, it's also possible, now this is just my thinking and we'll get into this later in this series, but when Jesus returns, after the tribulation, when he returns, he returns on a white horse and it says the saints are with him. Some commentaries say those are angels that are with him. Some say it is us, the believers, who went up to heaven and were coming back. Some say it's a mixture of both. I think it's us. We'll, we'll, we'll dive into it more. However, this is why I envision that, that returning of, of being like. Jesus will be returning to earth, bringing war and judgment to Satan and every evil entity that ever existed on this earth, and we are fighting that battle with him. The wicked nations during the tribulation period that wage war with God, he will smash them like clay pots. And we have that same authority with him. We're going to to do battle with Jesus as our captain. And there will be no casualties on our end. Now, I will also give them the morning star. What does that mean? Well, check this out. Now, remember... Everything is literal. I, I'm keeping it all literal. There is some stuff that's poetic. Ruling with an iron rod, that's literal. Smashing like clay pots, it's poetic, but it becomes literal. It appears that Jesus is both the giver and the gift. I will also give them the morning star. At the end of the book of Revelation, all right. in the beginning, Jesus himself meets John, and he's addressing these letters. He says, John, I want you to write this stuff down. And then an angel comes and takes John to different places. And he sees some of these things we're going to look at later on. And then Jesus comes back. And, and at the very end of this book, at the very end of the entire Bible, the last page, one of the things we read is this. This is what Jesus says to John. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to, to give you this message for the churches. The message in the book of Revelation is for all of us, the churches, everybody. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. This is King David in the Old Testament. I am the bright morning star. Does it get any more literal than that? I am the bright morning star. Now... In Peter, one of his books in chapter 1, he refers to the morning star, and there's some also references to morning star in the the Old Testament. But Jesus says here, I am the bright morning star. I'm the one. The morning star stands for the brightest star in the heavens. And it was often thought to be uh, like Venus uh, at certain times in the year. It, It shines in the morning. It's the brightest thing in the sky. People refer to that as the morning star. Jesus says, I am the bright morning star. I am the bringer of light. I am the bringer of life. I am the bringer of of joy. And above all, I am the royalty. That is the bookends of it all. The beginning and the end, the alpha and omega. I am the morning star when the world is at its darkest, when it doesn't seem like anything could get any worse towards the end time before Jesus returns, all of a sudden he will burst onto the scene exposing evil with the truth of his word and he will shine in the fullness of his glory as the bright morning star. And he will give himself to us. He is a king who serves his people. And we will share in his authority forever and ever. Amen? Now, i will to close out real quick with something here. Since the church in Thyatira was caught up in false teachings that Jesus referred to as deeper truths that come directly from Satan, these deeper truths, they were harmful to the people. They confused people. They, you know, t- today we would refer to them as New Age teachings. Right, Things that, that might have a little bit of Scripture dabbled in them, but, but mostly it's, it's not. It comes from Satan. It comes from demons. But I want to read something that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Coloss, And it comes from chapter 2, and it starts in verse 6, and he says this. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. This is it, church. The only way that we are able to discern what we are listening to and hearing and being taught is to be rooted and grounded in the truth of God's word and we must not waver from that truth. Amen? Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for this stuff. I know that sometimes, God, there's, there's all kinds of influences in our lives and sometimes they are holy spiritual influences and sometimes they are unholy spiritual influences guised as holy influences. And uh, I, I just want to ask, Lord God, if, if anybody here was just like, whew, man, I think I've been reading something I shouldn't be. I think I've been listening to somebody I shouldn't be. I, 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 I This really kind of it's home with me. I want to ask right now, Lord God, that as we move into a time of worship, Jesus, that you who are the bringer of life, the bringer of light, the truth that is stable and strong in all your ways, that you would speak to us about that stuff, God. That as we draw closer to you in worship, you would draw closer to us, Lord God. And I want to pray, Lord Jesus, that A little bit of heaven collides with our earthly realm right here and right now in the next few minutes, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.